Does a robot know you like a neighbor? Insurance Corporation will fulfill requests to cover anyone, anything, anytime, anywhere, with most standard algorithm. In the order it was received, please hold. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting the insurance coverage you need always starts with a conversation. Find a Farm Bureau agent at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. You're listening to the Bears Brothers podcast and postgame show, the place where Bears fans across the globe hang out online after every Bears game. Now get ready, because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast. We are getting closer to action as we're only four days away from the Bears' home opener on Monday night against the Seattle Seahawks. I'm Russ Woldewitt, and I want to welcome you to our official game preview podcast. Earlier this week, we met the Seahawks with a great interview from Andrew of the Seahawkers Podcast, and now it's time to get down to the nitty-gritty and discuss all of the variables on both sides of the ball. And now that's one hefty task, and obviously I can't do that alone. And that's why I have both of my Bears brothers here with me, as I'm joined by Brandon Hazlett and Nicholas Moriano, who are fresh off the first audio mailbag of 2018. Guys, how's it going? Good. It felt really cool to uh, to do the audio mailbag again. I'm excited uh, for next week already. Yeah, no, it was a fun time uh, bringing that back. I know a lot of the fans like it. Brandon and I really enjoy it. So, And, and it worked out. It, it was a lot of fun. So we are looking forward to next Wednesday. Awesome. And, guys, I just want to say congratulations. Today is the three-year anniversary of our podcast. Our first ever episode aired three years ago today. So congratulations on our three years. Uh, guys, I'm looking forward to the next three years, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And the fact that it's only been three years when it feels like a lifetime, which Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. Perhaps it's a combination of the two, but I'm looking forward to the next adventures uh, that are await us because 2018 was a fun year for this podcast. I'm excited to see uh, how it finishes and, of course, what's going on here for us in the future. But all right, guys, three years. Congratulations. But let's go ahead and just dive on into today's preview. And last week, we began with the defense. So let's go ahead and flip the order and preview the Bears' offense today. That's going to be squaring off against a Seahawks defense that Gave up 470 total yards last week, which was 28th most in the NFL. They allowed 27 points, um, but they did force three interceptions on the day. Now, I don't need to say it, but I'm going to one last time. Last week, the offense started the game moving the ball, um, but due to a handful of various reasons, including becoming maybe a little bit too vanilla and also being unable to adjust to the Packers' adjustments, they became ice cold. So... This is going to be one of my patented, simple questions, complicated answer time. And if you had to choose maybe just one thing that's going to enable this offense to be more consistent throughout the an entire game, what does it come down to? Let's go to Nick first. No, I think it's the play calling that is going to be in, you know implemented in that game. Matt Nagy, we, we, everyone knows in that second half, it's it seemed like the play calling was a little bit conservative. Uh, passing the ball on third and short when maybe should have ran it, especially when Jordan Howard, Terry Cohen were carrying the team, running the ball. So I think the play calling is definitely going to help 
you know, put Mitch Trubisky in better situations, that entire offense in better situations. So if you can have a complete game play calling, that's just going to play dividends and make the offense more successful. What about you, B? If you had to boil it down to just one thing, and I mean, for Purdue, you're good at boiling things, right? Yes, of course. Uh, I think it's going to be aggressive and it's kind of going hand in hand with the play calling. The offense was moving really well uh, when they had the scripted plays, obviously. Uh, but once we get away from those, I want to continue to see the aggressiveness. Don't need to, to dial it back if there's a lead. I mean, keep your foot on the gas pedal and keep going because that's how you put teams away in the NFL. And if you give them any sort of window, I think the odds are, I don't know what those odds are in front of me because I, I don't have Vegas tab up in front of me, but I think the odds are pretty good that if you give an NFL team a window to come back, the opportunity is going to be there. So keep your foot on the gas pedal, continue to be aggressive on offense. All right, so let's get into the actual specifics of this game. And I want to begin with the Bears ground game. Last week, we had 139 rushing yards. That was good for ninth in the NFL. Jordan Howard led the way with 15 carries for 82 yards. Trubisky had seven for 32, and Cohen added five carries for 25 yards. Looking at the Seahawks, they gave up the seventh most rushing yards last week, 146, in a game that they allowed two running backs to rush for 70-plus. Now, I don't know about you, but I like the Bears' chances, of course, in terms of establishing the run on Monday night. So, guys, I want to know, what do you expect from both Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen in this game? Is there anything that you want to maybe build off of last week, and is there in any area... Uh, that you maybe see some room for improvement. Let's go to B. I hope that Jordan Howard, well, I think he's going to continue to be a patient runner. That was something that we've really seen uh, last week against Green Bay that really opened up a lot of doors for him. He was patient, waited, 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 and then cut back if he absolutely had to. And he did it a couple times throughout the game, which was really nice to see. So if he can continue to be patient, I think he can get 100 yards rushing in this game. And I just think it's so important to be able to establish the run early. Uh, in this one, be able to, to get him going, uh, get Tariq Cohen some carries in there as well. I'd like to see his patience continue to uh, improve as well. We've seen it on that screenplay that he had where Kyle Long was downfield and he hung out behind him, which was really nice to see. But on the run game, I don't think we've seen the the patience as much, but that's something that he needs to continue to develop on. I think that's going to be huge coming into this game because, like you said, they gave up the, the seventh most rushing yards. I think that's definitely an area that they can exploit here. What about you, Nick? What are your expectations for the Bears running backs heading into this game against a Seattle defense that had a really tough time of stopping the run? Yeah, and I was just watching the game film from that Seattle Seahawks Denver Broncos game. And Adam said it in our in our Meet the Seattle Seahawks podcast that if the Bears can get to the outside and exploit that, they definitely should. And Tariq Cohen's gonna be the key guy in doing that. Just getting him the ball in the flats is where the Bears can definitely do some damage on the ground. Whether it's maybe even a quick pass or even like a jet sweep or you know, a little toss play. That's where the Bears can definitely exploit the Seattle Seahawks defense. For some reason, they weren't able to get to the flats, and even though they have athletic middle linebackers, they just weren't able to get to that edge, and the Bears were able to exploit, or the Bears should be able to exploit that in this matchup. But again, the Bears, I think, up front are going to be able to bully their way against the Seattle Seahawks front. They they have some guys, but I just think the Bears inside uh, offensive linemen have more, more talent, more uh, more push. So I think Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen are pr- going to have a pretty good day today or on Monday night. <laughs> today? That'd be today. <laughs> it's game day. Ah! There is a game. There is a game today, but it ain't the Bears playing. Now, I agree with you. And I was watching the game too. And what you can see is, uh, you know, they play the 4-3 and those two defensive ends have a hard time of really, you know, setting the edge. And once that happens, of course, uh, allowed last week Denver to bounce outside. And afterwards, uh, both of their outside linebackers, uh, Mingo and the rookie Shaquem Griffin, they had a very difficult time of corralling plays along the outside. Uh, so, yeah, definitely an area. Uh, and if you want to kind of take it a step further, I would run towards Charles Leno Jr. last week uh, when the Denver Broncos targeted the left sideline when they rushed that way. 
Uh, they averaged 6.3 yards per carry. And even if they want to kind of bounce it inside, I mean, even though they have Bobby Wagner, who's, you know, a great linebacker in this league, um, it's, just still, it's still imperative for them to try to, you know, of course, put it down the throat of the defense here. Um, but if they do, you better get ahead on Wagner, either it be a white here or one of the guards. The offense really needs to find a way to reach that second level. And it's, it's definitely doable. It's definitely obtainable because Denver did average 5.3 yards per rush up the middle as well. And Brandon, uh, I want to know, and you know the answer to this question, what's the magic number for Jordan Howard in terms of carries? 20. 20. And we had 15 <laughs> last week, five shy. And again, I know we don't have, we should we should definitely be keeping up with this stat. But at one point, the Bears were, what, like 7-1 and one whenever he has 20, catch, uh, 20 right. carries. So, I mean, it's very impressive. So, obviously, getting him the ball a little bit more for me is a key. Um, and last week, too, it proved uh, in terms of what Denver did because – Seattle got worn down as the game went on due to Denver sticking with the running attack. Uh, Seattle gave up 3.8 yards per carry on the first 20 attempts, um, but Denver, they ran the ball for almost like 40 times. And over the next, so from carries 21 to 30, that number went up from 3.8 to allowing 6.5 yards per rush. So the Bears just need to keep pounding the rock. And if they can do that weird on the defense, I expect some big numbers from, of course, Jordan Howard. All right, so let's go ahead and transition to the Bears' pass the game. Trubisky started last week hot. He had his first seven throws, but things cooled off quickly. Now, it's not going to be an easy task this week against Seattle, especially with Earl Thomas playing that center field. Last week, Seattle did give up 330 yards and allowed Keenum to complete 64% of his passes for three touchdowns. But controversially, they did come away with those three interceptions. So lots to get here on Trubisky, but I want to start this week with Maybe what's the one mistake uh, that you want to see him clean up this week that you saw time in and time again on Sunday night? What do you want to see corrected by the time we get to prime time on Monday? And let's go right to Nick. You know, Mitch Trubisky alluded to this in his press conference after the game and even, you know, a little bit later that he doesn't want to see that happy feet happen where he's just kind of escaping the pocket before even pressure's getting there. He has, there were multiple times where he had time, but he just, you know, escaped out of the pocket because he just didn't feel comfortable there. Trubisky needs to be able to stand in the pocket, go through his reads, make a confident throw. He can't escape the pocket just because he feels like maybe there's pressure coming on in on him when there really isn't. So that's the one thing I want to see him improve on because once he does that, sets his feet, Mitch Trubisky can make all the throws. He really can. And then he's able to see downfield, see those reads, those uh, the progression in whatever guy is open. But it all starts with him being confident in the pocket. So that's the one thing I want to see on Monday night. Nice. I love it. We still have uh, the peaking of the notes, as we call it over here, because under <laughs> this, for me, I have for Trubisky, you know, hang tight and go through your reads because of exactly what you just said. All four sacks last week that the Bears gave up, at least according to PFF, are accredited to Trubisky. None of them came on the offensive line whatsoever. And even then, they only allowed like five pressures for the entire game. So there's no reason for him to get that happy feet to feel like he needs to evade the pocket. He should trust that his guys are doing their job. And if he does that and he can go through those reads, I expect the offense to be a little bit more capable than it was after the first couple of drives last week. But let's go over to B. What about you? Uh, I'm kind of torn on whether or not this is something he needs to improve on. I guess I need to be able to look at it a little bit more. Uh, but I'm, I'm real proud of the kid today. Uh, kid, I think he's about our age. But anyway, um, <laughs> he said today that, you know, we've seen that picture up of Trey Burton wide open in the back of the end zone with a clear lane, you know, to pass the ball. And he came out today and he goes, you know, in a still picture, yeah, I look like an idiot. Uh, but the play is not designed to go that way. I wasn't there in my progression, you know, but if I'm going to be a, a 
a stellar quarterback in this league. I don't think that was the exact word, but you know, if I want to be a really good quarterback in this league, I got to be able to take chances and make the most of those opportunities that are there. So I want to be able to see him take a, an aggressive chance like that, uh, even if it's not exactly in the progression. And if I don't know if he's not looking, he's obviously not going to see that Trey Burton's open in the back of the end zone. But if he's got the chance to be aggressive, step up and make a play. Because I mean, if you throw an interception, I mean, it kind of is what it is. I this is not this is a game where I feel a lot more confident. Uh, and his ability to get away with those, despite Earl Thomas and Bradley McDougal having the three interceptions. There's some rookie corners uh, this week that I think we can take advantage of, so be aggressive if the opportunity's there. Huh, be aggressive. I see what you did there. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> actually, intended. Good, I'm proud. Uh, so <laughs> last uh, last week, Seattle, they had just one lone sack. So, Brandon, Mr. Trenches, right back to you. No reason to really expect the offensive line to struggle in this one, right? No, absolutely not. I mean, really the only guy that I think they have to watch out for is Frank Clark, the right defensive end. I was just kind of going through looking at some of these other guys. Quentin Jefferson, he doesn't have a whole lot of playing time on opposite side of Frank Clark there. Darren Reed the same way, which really leaves just the right side. Tom Johnson and Frank Clark is really the only two guys that you have to worry about. And then even in that case, that's Trubisky's strong side. So he's going to be able to see those pressures coming from the defensive line on that side. Interesting. Uh, for me, I mean, I agree. I think I wouldn't count out Deion Jordan right now because even though he didn't have this, a sack last week, again, they only had one as a team. I think he was the most consistent rusher getting into the pocket of, you know, of course, uh, disrupting Keenum just a little bit. So Deion Jordan, someone who I would be kind of paying attention to. But Brandon, interesting. You already alluded to this and I have in my notes. So I wanted to know your guys' thoughts on ball security. So Nick, I'm going to hand this over to you because obviously it's important. But personally, you know, kind of like Brandon, I feel... Uh, you know, I kind of fear that this week because of Sunday night, he's uh, he was a little bit overly protective with the ball. And with Seattle coming off a three interception game, maybe he's going to be afraid to pull the trigger on some throws. Thoughts on how Trubisky's going to handle the defense in terms of ball security. What would you like to see? You know, with that, again, the Seattle Seahawks should have had a fourth turnover there, too. There was a fumble that Pete Carroll did not. Uh, get a challenge out there for that, but the Seattle Seahawks did cause it. So this is a team that can cause turnovers, and Trubisky needs to be cognizant of that. But he still needs to be able, if he sees a guy open, he still needs to be able to throw that ball, despite there being some playmakers like an Earl Thomas back there, and you guys already alluded to Frank Clark and Bobby Wagner. He can't be passive. That's not going to be good. You can't have a passive quarterback because you're leaving points out there. You're leaving you know drives out there if you're not able to pull the trigger because you're scared of a certain type of throw. There's going to be tight windows that Trubisky's going to have to hit at some point. So, uh, you know, even though this is a defense that had its turnovers last week, still got to stay aggressive. Like like Brandon was saying earlier in the podcast, stay aggressive with, with this mindset on offense because you got to want to score points. Trubisky said it himself. Uh, there were points left out there on that field at Lambeau. And stay aggressive. Yeah, because all throughout OTAs, training camp, preseason, two words kept getting uttered out of the mouth of Coach Nagy, and those are calculated risks. We didn't see any of those last week. And for me, I'm hoping we do see a few of those calculated risks. Like Brandon said, I think there's some vulnerability on the outside of the Seattle defense. Um, But speaking of being vulnerable, Seattle is very vulnerable on first down in terms of allowing completions. Keenum completed 77% of his first down throws, um, but that number dips down on second down to 58%. And then on third, it drops even further to 44%. So for the Bears, of course, being successful on first down with this throws, it's going to be very pivotal. Um, but if he can maybe even outshine Keenum in those categories, uh, of course, completing 50% of your passes on third down, maybe 60% on second, just to bump up those numbers, I expect to, this offense to move the ball a little bit more consistently than we saw a week ago. 
I want to touch on too the, the ball security tight window thing that you guys are talking about. The one reception that Trey Burton had, Trubisky threw that ball in a pretty tight window. So it's not like he doesn't have confidence in doing it because we've seen it last week. Uh, so we, there's no reason to to not give it another shot uh, this week. So I, it's something I think that he has confidence in. We know that he can do it. He just needs to be able to pull the trigger on it. Yeah, I mean, he did the same thing with one route to Allen Robinson over the middle of the field, too, right between two defenders. So he yeah. has the arm strength to get him in there, too. He has the accuracy. I think he just needs to be a little bit more confident throughout the entirety of the game. And I think where this issue maybe uh, is in terms of being the most Mm, how do I want to phrase this? I think how this issue is maybe when it's the most frequent is down in the red zone. And because that's when he gets really timid with the ball. So for me, uh, I like what he can do in terms of driving the ball downfield. And he's not too afraid uh, to hit the middle of the field if he's sitting at like his 50. But when we get inside the 20, when we get inside the 10, he's a little gun shy when it comes to attacking the middle of the field. And I know you have Mingo. And I know you got Earl Thomas. But at one point or another, you got to trust one of these big guys in the red zone to go up there and make a play. So yeah, of course, I think the red zone is a huge key here. Um, in terms of this aggressive mentality. But we've already talked about a few of these targets. Let's kind of get at them. Robinson last week led the way, four catches, 61 yards. Gabriel had that big 31-yarder to start things off, but he failed to do anything on the screens. Cohen and Howard combined for 41 receiving yards. And Trey Burton, uh, despite that one catch, was pretty much shut down, only having uh, hauling in one of his six targets. So, guys, I want to know, who do you see being able to break through this week and perhaps becoming that quote-unquote go-to guy for Trubisky against Seattle uh, in that secondary, and why? And let's go to Brandon. Allen Robinson showed that a little bit early on in the game with those four receptions. I think that he can definitely stand up and, and be that guy, but Trubisky just has to be able to get him the ball. And it seemed like later in the game, he just wasn't finding anybody uh, because one of the, the callers that called in yesterday asked, you know, why wasn't Trey Burton more productive? And Nick and I kind of looked at each other before we went a lot, or, you know, we recorded and we're kind of like, was he really even much part of the game? You know, we didn't even realize that he had six targets. So, I mean, it's just getting getting his guys the ball. And I think that Allen Robinson's a guy that's got the athletic ability, the aggressiveness to win those 50-50 balls, and that should uh, provide Trubisky with more comfort in him to be able to stand up and be that security blanket. What about you, Nick? You know, I like Anthony Miller in this one. Emmanuel Sanders like, for the Denver Broncos had a really big day, and I think Anthony Miller's a guy – precise route runner can get behind these corners and be able to make these, you know, athletic type of grabs that we saw Emmanuel Sanders make last week. And especially over the middle of the field, right between the safeties and the linebackers. If Earl Thomas is not there, just kind of roaming around, which he wasn't there at times that that's a part of the field where he can definitely exploit. And I think Anthony Miller is going to be a lot more involved in this game than he was again on Sunday night against the Packers. So Anthony Miller is going to be the guy that I'm watching for, for Trubisky to look to, to really hurt the Seattle Seahawks defense. Speaking of exploitation, for me, I think it's whoever is lined up over Trey Flowers. He really struggled last week. He actually gave up seven catches on nine targets, about a 17.7 yards per catch average against him, 124 yards total on the day, and he even had a penalty. So for him, he's someone who I think if the Bears want to go ahead and attack, that'd be the exact guy to go after. And also maybe who the outside linebacker Mingo's on. Uh, like Kwiatkowski, he's a little bit of a liability in coverage. So maybe if we can get either you know Burton or one of these Bears running backs on him, I think this is where he can really make some headway. Just steal, like, I, like Nick kind of alluded to, kind of just steer clear of Bobby Wagner in the middle. He's a good coverage linebacker as well. All right, guys, so... I want to know, like, what ways do you envision Trubisky and these receivers actually finding success? Because the Broncos did have over 300 passing yards, and we should, at the very least, personally, I think there's no excuse to not break 250 on Monday night. But just keep in mind that Trubisky has only eclipsed 200 passing yards 
in three of his 13 starts. But Seattle gave up 243 yards to receivers alone in that game. So for us, and I, I really do believe in the weapons on this offense, I think 250 is a very obtainable number. So I want to know like, what ways do you envision Trubisky and your receivers actually finding some success on game day? Let's go to B. I think it's going to come down to the receivers really having good, clean route running because a lot of these DBs, aside from Earl Thomas and Bradley McDougal, are are young. So Trey Flowers, uh, the older Griffin brother, Shaquille, I mean, those guys are still young in this league. And I think that uh, veteran guys like Allen Robinson, uh, Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burton to an extent, it, if they can beat their guys off double moves or just run sharp, clean routes, I think that's really going to give Trubisky a lot of space to be able to throw the ball. We won't have to worry so much about the tight windows, regardless if it's over the field, uh, over top of Bobby Wagner and in between Earl Thomas, or whether it's it's deep in one-on-one coverage somewhere else. I think that the receivers, if they can run clean, solid routes I, and put on some good double moves, I think that they're going to be able to beat some of these young corners and get one-on-ones with the safeties or potentially with Bobby Wagner over the middle. What about you, Nicholas? You know what? I'm going to go with utilizing the RPO more in this game than we saw in the first game against the Packers because, again, that just slows down everybody. Everyone has to pay attention whether it's a run or a pass, and when you have that going on, all this motion, all this different movement, these receivers can then have easier windows to go to, areas of the field where they're not actually covered. So that's going to help the Bears moving forward if you know they st- – Still utilize all that motion and because we didn't see a lot of that in the second half against the Packers. So if you're doing that, that just gives the defense another thing to think about. They're not playing as fast. And these receivers, if you're not you're not paying attention for a split second, Taylor Gabriel and Anthony Miller, Allen Robinson will just burn right by you. So I think if you utilize that in your offense, these RPOs, all this motion, that's just going to help bring success for these wide receivers. And Nick, I want to go right back to you here. You know, Coach Nagy, this is his first time calling plays here in Chicago and Total in his career, he has like five games to his name. What is maybe like the one lesson that you hope he learned as a play caller last week? Well, you know, you want to, for for him especially, and I go back to that playoff game against the Titans, you got to just give your playmakers, the ones, the reliable playmakers, the ball when the game's on the line. And that's what Jordan Howard, that was like Kareem Hunt a year ago. And I think that's what he needs to stick with because especially on a third and one, third and two, don't get cute with your play calls and try to throw a uh, pass the other side of the field to a Deion Sims for a one yard route, run the ball straight ahead with Jordan Howard. Just it's, it's presented to you right there. And that's what he needs to do moving forward. Sometimes I think he's overcomplicating it in his head. Like, Oh, I need to make this, uh, I don't know, dynamic kind of play to get one yard. Well, just go right up the middle with Jordan Howard. I think you can get it that the same exact way. So I think his play calling, yes, you want to see him be creative, but at times you just want him to go back to what you know was leading him on some drives, just running the football. And I think that's where Matt Nagy will learn to have success, not to overcomplicate things. Sure. All right, guys. I want to know what else is in your notes that you maybe want to bring to the table here. And let's go to B. I I like what Nick said about the the sticking with the hot hand because that's something we talked about last night. A couple of callers asked about the the third and two situation against Green Bay. Why didn't we just run the ball with two chances? So that's something I think that Nagy's definitely going to have to keep uh, an eye on, and Trubisky as well throughout the game. they got to be able to work together uh, for game management things. Uh, that can definitely improve, especially late, not calling the third and one. If Trubisky has the ability to change the play, which we've heard that he can uh, from time to time, uh, I think it might be different hot routes. I don't know necessarily about audibles. But if he has the ability, if he sees something and can change the play, I expect him to do it. So it's really just playing smart and having good game management. What about you, Nick? 
You know, the thing that I've been preaching for a long time now is just I want to see Trubisky be able to give his playmakers an opportunity to make plays. I think that the one play or the one screenshot where Trey Burns wide open and he doesn't throw the ball, well, at least give him an opportunity to make it or an Allen Robinson one-on-one situation. We saw that once in the Green Bay game and Allen Robinson came down with that ball. I want to see Trubisky, this offense, just take, like like we said earlier in the podcast, those calculated risks, because I think the Bears' playmakers are some really good ones. They just need to get that ball you know, in their vicinity. So we, I want to see more of that, more opportunities to actually make these big-time plays. All right. For me, I just want to highlight red zone, uh, just because last week the Bears started a one-for-one one in the red zone with that touchdown in the opening drive. Then afterwards, they just went 0-for-3 after that. They left a ton of points up on the board. So finding a way to convert those trips into points, of course, is going to be pivotal. And the Bears last week in the entire NFL had the fourth most red zone trips, but their conversion rate was 25th in the league. So obviously it all comes down to execution, play calling, and giving, like I mentioned about 10 minutes ago, those big red zone targets a chance. They really need a chance. And then we can see what can happen. But guys, it's time to decide who's going to be our X factors. And I'm going to begin because I want to play Captain Obvious. I'm going to say it's Trubisky, right? Without his success, the offense just doesn't go. If he can't correct those mistakes, hang tight in the pocket, hit those throws, take those calculated risks, and plays timid, the offense is going to struggle. But if he can be, I'm going to say about 75% of that 7-for-7, 100-plus yard Mitch that we saw in the first quarter against Green Bay, just 75% of that guy, the offense is just going to open up, and I think we're going to be able to move the ball and score points. Let's go to Nick. Who's your X Factor? I got to go with Tariq Cohen. I think this he's bound to have a big game uh, against the Seattle Seahawks, especially on the edge. And just he had success against the Packers on these plays where you're just getting him out in the open space and letting him, you know, just make moves. And I think the Bears are going to want to do the exact same thing in this one, especially getting those offensive linemen in front of him. Tariq Cohen makes, uh, you know, sets up a few blocks and just makes a man miss. And he can he's got big play potential. We all know that. So I think Tariq Cohen's the X factor in this one. B. Well, Captain Obvious took the obvious one. Nick took mine, so I'll stay in the backfield here. I'm going to give it to Jordan Howard because he's just really set up uh, to have a, a good game as long as he's just patient and can you know have good ball security because, like you said uh, early on, Will, you gave the stat how many yards he gave up. It was seventh most in the league, 146 yards uh, in week one, seventh most in the league. I think that it's set up for both Tariq Cohen and Jordan Howard to have another really good game, and as long as uh, Howard continues to get stronger as the game goes on and the offensive line gives him a push, then I absolutely think that the Bears uh, can establish a good running game. They're going to have to respect it, and that's going to open up the door for for the passing lane. So I think Jordan Howard uh, is going to be the X factor. If he can get going, then the offense will get going. Great. So for me, this next section uh, of the show is a little bit new. We have an intern. His name is DJ. He goes to a great school, Indiana University, uh, and he's, of course, studying sports journalism. Um, but he does a weekly fantasy football article on our website. And I asked him, hey, can you give us like if the one player that you must start this week on your fantasy team and why every week? And he said, sure. So this week, if you have this one Bears player on your team, you better better start him. And it's Jordan Howard. He had 20 uh, touches last week, uh, five receptions with no drops, 107 total yards. Uh, playing against the Seattle defense, they gave up 71 rushing yards to two rookie running backs in Freeman and Lindsey. Uh, obviously, he has an opportunity to excel. And if Matt Nagy learned one thing from last week, according to DJ, it better be to run Jordan Howard once he reached the red zone. And if he does, he should be able to have over 100 all-purpose yards and, of course, a score. And Mitch and receivers, he mentions, they still need to click. So Howard is the one guy who's guaranteed to get some volume in the offense. So 
Last week, Broncos running backs averaged nearly 4.6 yards per carry, and Jordan Howard, of course, behind this Bears offensive line, is capable capable of doing that next week and much more. So Jordan Howard's the one Bears player that you better start on fantasy if you have him. But guys, it's time to find out who has the edge. And Nick, you're going to go first. I'm going to give you the Bears passing attack versus the Seattle Seahawks secondary. I'm going to go with the Bears passing attack in this one. The only guy that legitimately scares me is Earl Thomas. And I think the Bears are just bound to have a better week than they did last week against the Packers. Um, That's due to play calling. That's due to Mitch Trubisky elevating his play. And then just the playmakers actually getting the ball more involved in that second half and hopefully carrying over from a successful first half. But yeah, Earl Thomas is a guy to watch out for. The Bears know that. I think Matt Nagy is going to play a scheme that, you know, maybe takes him out of the game. So attacking those sidelines, utilizing these one-on-one matchups with Allen Robinson, I like the Bears' uh, passing attack. All right, B, over to you. Bears' rushing attack versus Seattle Seahawks' run defense. Uh, Seeing as the Bears had 139 rushing yards last week, or 130-ish, I forget exactly what you said that stat was, and the Seahawks gave up 146. I like the Bears' uh, rushing attack in this one. They'll rack up a few more yards than they did last week. Aside from Bobby Wagner, there's not a whole lot of resistance there uh, as far as the Seahawks rushing defense goes. So I give give the edge to the Bears offense rushing attack. There we go. For me, I have the Bears pass protection versus Seattle's pass rush. If you asked me this a few years ago, I think you would have known my answer. But things have changed over in Seattle. I'm giving the edge here to the Bears pass protection. Last week, like I mentioned earlier, all four sacks that the Bears gave up are accredited to Mitchell Trubisky. The offensive line only gave up a handful of pressures, and there was not one glaring weak spot. as It was kind of evenly spread throughout the entire unit, so not one sore spot to really kind of focus on here. Now, in last week, Seattle only had one sack and barely a couple, like, a, like I think less than a handful of uh, quarterback hurry. So for me, this should be an easy one for the Bears unless they try to go exotic here in Seattle and really confuse Trubisky in this offensive line, but... As of right now, with our limited sample size on this season, easily you have to give the edge here to the Bears passing uh, protection. All right, so we're officially at halftime, so i got to call a timeout here and tell you about our show sponsor, SeatGeek. Football is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. All the Bears Brothers, we have the SeatGeek app on our phones and our devices, and personally, uh, we found it to be the easiest way that we can shop for tickets. Um, They have a lot of really cool things. Um, I've been highlighting, uh, of course, the value feature. I want to highlight something new today, I guess. How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. And it's uh, the push notification uh, in terms of uh, teams that I follow. And tickets dropped for an upcoming uh, Cubs game, 18%. And you get a little notification like, hey, the seats have dropped on average 18%. You might want to go check it out. So it's a really neat feature uh, that the app has. And SeatGeek is designed your, to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. Plus, SeatGeek, uh, at SeatGeek, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. 
Now, of course, before the show, there's been one game I've been highlighting that I've been asking you to go to. Please check for tickets. And of course, it'll be this Monday night against Seattle. We've been talking about the game. I think it'll be a great game to go to. The fourth phase needs to show up, be loud, kind of show them that you know they have they might have the twelfth man, but we have the fourth phase. So definitely check out SeatGeek because there's still a handful of quote unquote amazing deals. So check it out before they are no longer available. And the best part of all is that our listeners get $20 off that first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the app and enter the promo code BEARS today. That's promo code BEARS, B-E-A-R-S, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All righty, you're listening to the Bears Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Little Wit. I'm joined by my fellow Bears brothers, Nicholas Moriano and Brandon Hazlett. And we are now switching our sights over to the Bears defense as we are continuing our Bears-Seahawks game preview. Last week, the defense, thank you, Khalil Mack, came out swinging. It was truly a sight to see. Now, look at the Packers' drives results in the first half. Punt, punt, punt. Punt, fumble, pick six. Now, unfortunately, the second half was an entirely different story. And a quote from Akeem Hicks earlier this week, I think, said it best. Quote, we're a hard-hitting team. We know how to start real fast. Now, we got to be able to finish it. So just like the offense, we are in really need for a complete four quarters to have any shot at taking down Seattle Monday night. Seattle's offense was a unit that was able to put up 306 total yards, which was only 24th in the league, and they scored 24 points on Denver's defense. Now I want to go ahead and begin with Seattle's passing tech because honestly, I mean, I'm not really worried about the running game. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But Russell Wilson, last week he finished 19 of 33. That's only 57% completion for 298 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. He was sacked a whopping six times in which the offense lost 56 yards. Now we're going to get to the receivers in a moment, but let's focus on Russell here. Guys, I want to know, how can we limit his impact in this game? Because, you know, he's a super solid quarterback. And, you know, even though that he had those six sacks, it really didn't hinder him from putting up some decent numbers last week. Let's go to Nick. You know, it's all about keeping Russell Wilson in the pocket because once he escapes, just like Aaron Rodgers, he can make plays happen with his feet or just throw on the run. And that's going to be huge in this game. And I think the Bears have the players to be able to contain Russell Wilson. But that's a big thing. He's, he's able to just make plays out of nothing. And that's what, he's gonna, that's what the Seattle Seahawks are going to bank on for these wide receivers who you talked about aren't the best. So Russell Wilson making things happen with his feet is something that just adds another element to the Seattle Seahawks offense. So if the Bears can, can contain him, that's going to play dividends in the Bears' direction for possibly winning this game. What about you, Brandon? How do we limit Russell Wilson's impact Monday night? That's a good thing. They brought up containment because that's something that I didn't think about because I knew he was a guy that could move similar to Aaron Rodgers, make make plays happen, you know. Uh, but when you brought up that the 57 uh, passes completed, uh, 19 to 33, I think that really screams that you almost have to keep him in the pocket. If he's not going to complete 60% of his passes, then I don't want to say there's not much of a need to get back there. I would love to be able to rack up six sacks and have Russell Wilson sack 12 times in two weeks. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, the Bears being on the second half of that, but I, I don't know necessarily how important it is that they have to get there uh, because if Cleo Mack uh, is able to get around his guy and is able to flush Wilson out of the pocket, is Wilson going to be able to get the ball out sooner than Cleo Mack can get there? I almost think that containment's almost the, the best option, I guess. All right. So for me, I'm looking a little bit differently here. I say you take away the middle of the field because last week when he was attacking the middle of the field, it was eight of nine for 150 yards. I think if you eliminate that and force him to beat you with some outside, outside throws, you're going to put yourself in a position to succeed. But also, 
I want to, I want to just throw it out here. You need to be, be to be prepared to go ahead and defend the deep ball. He had to combine seven passes along the boundaries last week that traveled 20 plus yards in the air. Now he only hit on two of those, but both of those touchdowns. So guys like Fuller and Mukamara, they really need to be able to limit those big time plays. It's very important that at least if that at least one of those guys can do it because you have two safeties and if they're, they're going to have to help both of these corners on the, of course on the sidelines, it's going to open up the middle of this field. So one of these guys need to be able to lock down their side of the field. So for me, uh taking away the middle of the field would just be the great way to force Wilson to kind of look elsewhere, something that he didn't do a great job at last week uh, because he kind of tended to throw to the middle. So take it away, see if he can beat you outside. All right, so let's talk about that pressure that we've all kind of alluded to, right? Six sacks given up by Seattle. Now, they did allow on top of that 21 pressures on the day, 13 hurries, hurries and four hits. Now I want to know, like, what matchups up front are you most confident in and why? And I have to start with Mr. Trenches. So B, take it away. I'm going to go with uh, Cleo Mack over Jermaine. Oh, what's his last name here? Fetty. Fetty? Hey, Fetty. Because that's, that's what Adam said was the one. If we just put Cleo Mack over top of him, I mean, Cleo Mack's going to win that one every time. So I'm going to take his advice, and I'm going to say Cleo Mack over uh, Fedetti there. Uh, just simply because if he's going to give up pressure like that, and even though it is to, to Wilson's strong side, so he's going to see it all coming. I mean, that that's a guy in the backfield almost immediately off the snap. So that that's definitely one match I'm looking forward to. And we talked about yesterday too, Nick, uh, Ray Robinson Harris and his impact. If he can have a, another quiet, uh, solid impact in this one, that's definitely going to be another underrated pressure coming on the other side of the line. Spoiler alert. I would take Khalil Mack over any tackle in the entire league, but that's just me. Very let's go, true. Let's go over to Nick here. Do you have a matchup up front that you have like circled that you're paying attention to? I mean, that's the one that I think impacts this game the most so that Khalil Mack and Fetty, because if Khalil Mack's able to get pressure consistently, like he was against the Packers, Russell Wilson, they're going to have to change everything that they do offensively, double team, just chip them on the line of scrimmage. Those tight ends that had the tight end that had a big day uh, is not going to lo- no longer be able to get downfield. So that's a key matchup, but you hope that Leonard Floyd on the opposite side, who is it? Um, Brown, I think, is their left tackle. I, I forget his first name. But I think yes. Leonard Floyd needs to be able to win that matchup then because we didn't see a lot of that in this game against the Packers. So, I mean, obviously, Cleo Mack's the key guy, but the other guys around him need to win their one-on-one matchups because he's going to take so much attention. Yeah, I don't have, say, like the most confidence in the Floyd-Brown matchup, but it is one that I think Floyd should be able to kind of make some headway here because Brown gave up five hurries. He didn't give up one of those sacks. Um, but I think this could be an open door that Floyd can just kind of walk on through. So, yeah, and of course, we need to see him kind of step up in the pass rush department compared to last week. I know he has the club, um, but we need someone opposite of Mac to kind of be disruptive. And last week, Floyd wasn't. Now, rewatching that game, there might have been a few missed calls that Floyd kind of drew. Um, <laughs> but we know we don't really harp on officiating too much on this podcast, kind of out of our hands. But, um, but real quick, ahead. too, uh, someone you said opposite of Mac. Because I was going to bring up Floyd, you know, he has the club and it probably hinders his his fighting ability down there because he's really only got one hand. I mean, you can kind of swing that club as fearlessly and as recklessly as you want and probably get away with a lot of things. Uh, but that, that's why I think Roy Robertson Harris really needs to take advantage of his matchups uh, because they're going to look at Leonard Floyd despite having the club and going, well, you know, he is a respected pass rusher and kind of like leave Roy Robertson Harris on his own, leaving Eddie Goldman to take up two guys. So that really just puts Roy Robertson Harris and Akeem Hicks in one-on-one situations if they really want to go that route, or they could put one-on-ones with Eddie Goldman and Roy Robertson Harris. So those are two guys that also have to take uh, full advantage of their one-on-ones to get back to Russell Wilson. All right. All right, let's go ahead and uh, let's look at the targets now uh, that Wilson has to work with. 
Rookie tight end, uh, Will Disley, he had an unexpected breakout game last week. Three catches, 105 yards, and a score. Tyler Lockett, he caught all three of his targets for 46 yards. Uh, both backs, Carson and Penny, combined for around 60 yards receiving. And there's a guy named, what's his name? Brandon Marshall. Hmm. He led the team in targets uh, with six, and he had 46 receiving yards and a touchdown. He could have had two, um, but there was an offensive pass interference call, uh, which I agree with, even though our guest on the last show, Andrew, did not. <laughs> I was like, I mean, it's okay. I mean, that's what happens when you're rooting for uh, a team. But, uh, no, in total, Wilson did spread the ball uh, and the wealth around. Uh, Ten different players saw at least one pass come their way in that game. So out of all these targets, I want to know, and let's look at receivers here for a moment. Which of these wideouts are you worried about heading into this matchup and why? And let's go to Brandon first. Well, I'm going to go to Brandon. Uh, Brandon Marshall, that is. Uh, because he's he knows Kyle Fuller. They played on the same team for a little while there. He knows how to take advantage of him. And that's one uh, one matchup that I'm really keying in on, uh, especially because you said if we need to take away the middle of the field, there has to be a corner that locks down the receiver one-on-one. And I hope that Kyle Fuller is up to that task because I do imagine that he's going to get Brandon Marshall uh, in this one. And he's the one receiver I worry about just with his size, his physical ability. And he knows Kyle Fuller, like the back of his hand, I guess. So that's the matchup I'm looking at. For me is Brandon Marshall. And Nick and I were on the Seahawkers podcast earlier this week. And I kind of alluded to it when Ryan Pace came in as general manager, his very first move was a trade of Brandon Marshall. And then when that happens, I think he's coming back to Chicago, a place where, you know, he has some decent seasons, but it's something that, you know, it's Brandon Marshall. He's going to come here with a chip on his shoulder when I kind of prove to the Soldier Field faithful, like, hey, I still got it. And I think for Seattle's sake, they hope he still has it because they need a big-bodied receiver on the outside to go ahead and kind of become that number one, especially after Doug Baldwin, uh, his absence now at the MCL. So for me, I think Brandon Marshall, He, like I said, he led the entire Seahawks team with six targets last week. I expect the same thing to kind of follow suit. And Brandon, like you said, he knows um, he knows this defense. He understands, of course. Well, maybe not maybe this not defense. The, right. Maybe not, At this, least not, maybe not Fangio's. But he knows the players and he knows right. some of their tendencies. And even though Fuller's been coached up for a few years since, I'm sure, you know, he can, uh, by watching tape, he must go, oh, he still does that? Cool. I'm going to make sure we can exploit that uh, come Monday night. But for me, Brandon Marshall, for all those reasons, I wouldn't sleep on Lockett either. But uh, Marshall's a guy who I'd be paying attention to. What about you, Nick? Mine is going to be Tyler Lockett because you alluded to this earlier, Will. The, Russell Wilson will make big plays, especially when he gets outside of the pocket. And that's the guy that he's going to look to to make these big plays down the field. He's that speedy receiver that can get behind a defense. So Tyler Lockett's a guy that definitely can't sleep on. And again, they brought him here, especially with Paul Richardson leaving, to be that big play guy to stretch the field vertically. So Tyler Lockett can't let him get behind this defense. And, you know, he can line up on multiple different uh whether it's outside or inside. So whether it's Callahan, Fuller, maybe one play, Mukamura or the other, you got to watch out for Tyler Lockett. All right, Nick, and right back to you. What's your confidence in the Bears' ability to even force those turnovers, like the interceptions like Denver had last week? Are you confident? Ah, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, we haven't seen it, but if you can get pressure, that's only going to make that thought process in Russell Wilson's head go a little further, and maybe he makes that mistake. And we did see that in that game against Denver where they were able to bring pressure, whether they brought off a nickelback off the edge or just uh, Von Miller was just wreaking havoc. Uh, Russell Wilson will throw a couple of bad balls, and he did that last week. So um, I am I am confident, though, that I think the Bears can at least get two turnovers in this game just due to pressure, whether it's a fumble or you know getting to Russell Wilson quickly and then he him having to make a quick reactionary throw. That it's a forced throw in a bad situation. So I do like uh, the chances in this one. What about you, B? Are you, and I'm going for a different direction here, so don't jump in right away. I want to know about uh, 
that tight end, that rookie Disley, are you buying or selling that huge debut? I'm selling it, especially because this is something that, that Nick brought up earlier. He might have to come in and help chip block on Cleo Mack, which means he's not going to be able to get downfield as quickly as he could have uh, in the last game. I didn't quite watch all of his highlight reel uh, tape, uh, but the three receptions for 105 yards, that's a 35-yard average. That's that's pretty uh, pretty beefy there. So I don't think that I don't, I'm going to sell him this week as far as an impact player because he's going to have to help somewhere, whether that is on Leonard Floyd or Cleo Mack. He's going to have to ask to do a little bit more blocking in this one, and that's reason why I'm selling him. I don't think he has quite the production this week. I mean, last week the Bears held Jimmy Graham to two catches for eight yards. And, right. you know, and I mean, that's Jimmy Graham. And this is a rookie tight end who came out being known to be a blocking guy. Um, I, I, you have to assume he flew under Denver's radar. Now he's on, of course, uh, not just the Bears radar, but I mean, I've heard he's a big hot hand in terms of picking up from fantasy this week. So I'm sure his name's out there. The Bears will have a plan to corral him. But uh, yeah, I don't expect... Uh, 130-yard game from the tight end this week. Uh, Nick, I want to go back to you, and I want to know, how do you anticipate the Bears being able to limit Seattle's backs coming out as receivers? Uh, The Bears, just to throw it out there, uh, we allowed Ty Montgomery on 21 yards on two catches, which, you know, isn't earth-shattering by any means. So how do you anticipate the Bears being able to lock down these backs who combined for about 60 yards receiving? Again, I think a big thing, you putting in Roquan Smith really will help this Bears defense. And just because the speed... From Nick Krakowski to Roquan Smith is significantly different when Smith is on the field. So I think putting that in there, whether it is the Seattle Seahawks running the ball, whether they go outside the tackles or inside, having Roquan Smith is going to elevate this defense. I don't care that he's a rookie, that he hasn't had enough time you know, in training camp, what, whatever. We saw what he was able to do when he was on that uh, field against, in Lambeau. So I think putting him on there upgrades his defense. And Dan Trevathan... He's a good cover guy. He he knows his assignments, but having a Roquan Smith alongside him, that's only going to elevate the play of those inside linebackers. Yeah, it's going to take away the perimeter of the field because Roquan Smith has the closing speed to get out there, unlike uh, Nick Wachowski. And additionally, if they do any like crossing routes or any shout, you know, and anything like that, last week we saw time in and time out. That Kwiatkowski not oh, just lets the guy kind of cross his face, but once they do, he has a hard time keeping up with them, and that's kind of where Green Bay was able to kind of exploit that mismatch. And you bring in a Roquan Smith, the mismatch is gone, and it actually turns into an area of the field where you don't want to even attack because Roquan's uh, closing speed and coverage ability is light years ahead of what you know number forty-four brings to the table. But uh, let's go ahead and transition here, and let's talk about Seattle's running game. It, honestly, or do they even have a running game? That might be the question because it was non-existent last week. Not only didn't they run the ball a ton, only 16 attempts as a team, um, but Penny was super ineffective. He had eight yards on seven carries. I'm not going to do the math. That's pretty bad. Chris Carson, he was more of a factor. He did have 51 yards on his seven carries, including a 24-yarder. But overall, fellas, what's your confidence in the Bears' ability to stop the run and just make Seattle one-dimensional on Monday? Let's go to B. Yeah, believe it or not, they actually did have a rushing game because there were two teams in the league that had fewer rushing yards than Seattle did. So I think that it's safe to say they have a, a tiny rushing game. Uh, but I'm I'm a lot more confident in the Bears' rushing defense in this one because neither running back did very much to impress me. Granted, I don't think they had quite the the attempts. Yeah, they had 16 total attempts, two of them being Russell Wilson. Uh, so seven carries apiece. That's just not enough really to get a rhythm going. Uh, and I think if the, the Bears can shut down their rushing game early and put them behind early, if they play complementary football and the offense puts some points up, then that's really going to force Seattle to have to throw the ball. And that's exactly, I think, what we need to see in this one. If they can absolutely shut down their running game early, put some points up on the board, complementary football to its finest, Russell Wilson will have to throw the ball. 
Yes, and we saw complimentary football for almost a half last week, which is something we haven't seen a lot of, which I am excited to see a little bit more of it as we progress through this season. But getting back on track, Nick, what's your confidence in the Bears' run defense? You know, I'm actually really confident that they can shut down the Seattle Seahawks running game. Chris Carson's a guy that I want to watch out for only because he did show some uh, elusiveness, some power in his running when he did get opportunities. But, guys, isn't it weird? Like, every time we expect the Bears to really shut down an opposing team's running game, sometimes the Bears just don't do that. And I'm not, I'm saying that just to bring it up because I know, like, a couple times last year against the Packers, you know, they didn't really have much of a running game. Ty Montgomery or whatever, whoever's the running back. Right. And the Bears give up 106 yards. I think it was the second most rushing yards they gave up uh, last year behind, I think it was the Eagles. So I'm not saying that the Bears are going to do that, but at times when we feel confident about this rushing defense, it comes back to bite us. But I think in this game specifically, because that CLC Hawks offensive line is not very good, that's why their rushing attack takes a dip down in production. And just because of the Bears defenders and the speed they have on defense, I think that's why they shut it down. But hopefully we don't see this Bears defense just give up a, you know, a huge amount of yards on the run to a Seattle Seahawks team that's not very good at running the football. I don't think that Cleo Mack would allow that to happen. I mean, oh, I no. think he's just too much of a vocal leader, and like a, obviously he's really good on the field, but I think his leadership skills would take over and say, you know, this cannot happen. So I'm I'm confident in him as a leader to be able to shut that down as well. So maybe I'm getting a little too, too overconfident here, but I think that he's really the X factor when it comes to uh, the defense playing down to their competition this year. Not only do I think Cleo Mack doesn't allow it happen in terms of his leadership and making sure that uh, the guys keep their head on straight and if something if they do slip up a couple times, making sure they don't dwell on it, move on to the next play. But if you look at the splits, guys, um, where Seattle even succeeded, and they have to use that term very loosely here, last week uh, was it's going to be right into the heart of the Bears' defense because Carson's 24-yarder came across the, over the right tackle. Cleo Mack. He's not going to allow a 24-yarder to go his way. He doesn't let it happen. Carson, he averaged 6.7 yards per attempt when going up to the right middle. That's right where Akeem Hicks is, and he's not going to let that happen. So for me, I'm feeling pretty confident in the Bears' run defense here. There's a couple more questions to kind of close out the Bears' defensive discussion. And Nick, I'm going to go to you first. What does Vic Fangio need to do differently this week compared to a week ago? You know, it's learn to adjust at, at halftime, especially because we all know what happened that second half with Aaron Rodgers. And credit to Aaron Rodgers for doing what he did. But I want to see him adjust, especially in that hurry up and quick passing game. How do the Bears maybe adjust their corners? Do they bring them up to play more press man coverage to disrupt the the timing between Russell Wilson and his receivers? That's what I want to see uh, happen because I think the Seattle Seahawks are going to want to do a little bit of that. Obviously, it has success against the Bears in the second half against the Packers. So, uh, making adjustments at halftime, especially because I think the Bears are going to come out in this first half and really just dominate, really, the, the Seattle Seahawks. So whatever halftime adjustments need to be made, uh, make sure you make them because obviously Seattle's going to do it. We need to see Vic Fangio in this Bears defense do it as well. What about you, B? Do you have anything further that you would like to add on Fangio? I think he needs to preach the the finish, uh, something we heard all throughout training camp. You guys have to be able to finish plays, finish drives, finish games. Uh, when they gave up that long touchdown, unfortunately, last week, after Eddie Jackson gave it up, he was kind of like jogging back to try and chase him. And it ended up being like Khalil Mack, Adrian Amos, I think Leonard Floyd, I think, were the three guys back there uh, trying to stop him when he got inside the 10-yard line. You know, two of those guys are at the line of scrimmage to start the play. So those guys playing back there in the secondary need to be able to pick it up a little bit more, and they have to be able to finish the game, finish the tackle, finish 
finish the game. I think I might have already said that one, but they have to just be able to finish and execute. So that's if I'm Vic Fangio, that's what I'm preaching this week. Absolutely. Nick, right back to you. Expectations for Cleo Mack in week two. I think that first half, of course, has us uh, just salivating, wondering what kind of impact he can have on a weekly basis. Now, I'm not saying he needs to have such a prolific performance, but what are your expectations for him in this week? Oh, I mean, like two pick sixes, six sacks, three fumble recovery. No, but uh, Cleo Mack, again, he's got a very favorable matchup. And obviously, Seattle Seahawks are going to want to double team him, do what they want to do. But Cleo Mack's such a good player. He really is. So I think you expect expect another, you know, maybe two sacks, maybe two, just because uh, I think that's just such a favorable matchup where Cleo Mack's just going to exploit it. But maybe not a pick six this week, uh, maybe maybe a third week or whatever. But he, he's a great player. He's going to make plays. Yeah, he is. And I, I'm expecting more in terms of what we can see out of him maybe in the second half because all of his big-time moments, of course, come in the first 30 minutes. And it's a given. His conditioning isn't all the way up there yet. He's not calloused, as Matt Nagy would say. And he needs to work on it, and that's fair. And the fact that he was able to do what he did despite no training camp, despite not even being in this team for eight days at the time of this, uh, the, the kickoff last week. It's imp- highly impressive, and it's nothing that uh, – no knock against him whatsoever saying that he needs to work on his conditioning. But with another week under his belt, uh, a game under his belt, I expect him to uh, be able to be a factor in the final quarter, unlike maybe last week when you can just tell he was a little bit gassed. Uh, so that's what I'm expecting out of uh, Mac, just more consistency uh, throughout the entirety of the game. But I'm, well, I'm not complaining about what I saw. In that first half. But uh, all right, go ahead. Anything else in the notes that you want to mention about either the Bears defense or Seattle's offense heading into this game? And let's go over to, I choose Brandon. Wow, I thought you were going to go to Nick. Uh, I think I think the safety need to, to have a stronger showing. Uh, Adrian Amos, uh, we've seen him in run support a couple times last week. Betty Jackson had an overall quiet game, and he was on Randall Cobb on that 75-yarder there at the end, like I said. So I expect him to be able to make some sort of impact. I don't think he's going to allow himself. I think he's got too high of a motor to allow him to have two bad games in a row. So I think Eddie Jackson's guy is going to have to step up in this one. What about you, Nick? You know, big, big thing for the Bears to be successful is get Russell Wilson at CLC Ox on third down situations because even though Russell Wilson is a great quarterback, he was actually 27th in passer rating on third down. So that's a key thing for the Bears defense moving forward. Get him in, especially that third and medium, third and long. He's not going to have as much success as he will at a third and one or third and short, obviously. So getting to third down is going to be key for the Bears defense. You bring that pass rush, bring another edge defender, bring that nickel back down. Then the Bears will be able to get off the field and get their offense rolling. I like it. I actually had a third down as well. And for me, it's exactly what you said. A week ago, we held Green Bay to only 5 of 13 on those third down conversions. Seattle last year, last year, last week, was uh, the third worst offense on third down. Uh, only like one third down conversion for the entire game. So getting off the field is going to be huge for the Bears. I think they can do it. And uh, just definitely an area of the game to pay attention to. If Seattle ends up converting a bunch of third downs, I will be stomping on my hat because it shouldn't happen. All right, guys, time to find out who is going to be your X factor in this matchup. And let's go ahead over to Mr. Nick. I have Leonard Floyd, actually. I think this is a guy we expected a lot from coming to the season, especially with no Cleo Mack. And we wanted him to be a 10 or, you know, a double digit sack guy. So Leonard Floyd and, you know, it's going to be a good matchup between him and Brown, the left tackle. So I want to see him have more of an impact. And I know there was plays where Leonard Floyd was held and, 
you know, they didn't call it, but you have to be able to fight through those and get to that quarterback. And I know Russell Wilson being one of the best, being someone that can escape the pocket, but Leonard Floyd's he's, he's a good player too. And we want to see him uh, be able to once just stay healthy and be productive. So my X factor is Leonard Floyd. What about you B? I'm going to say Cal Fuller uh, because going up against Brandon Marshall this week, we already talked about how he's a big physical guy, how we want to keep him out of the middle of the field because that's Russell Wilson's sweet spot. Like you said, he was 8-9 over the middle last week, so definitely got to be able to keep him out of there. And also, if we can shut him down early, if Cal Fuller can really lock on him, uh, that's going to really make Russell Wilson think later in the game, like, can I actually go to Brandon Marshall in this spot, in a big spot where I need him? Uh, so I think Kyle Fuller early on is going to have to be able to lock down his guy, and that's going to kind of determine what Russell Wilson has to throw to late in the game. Nice. You took half of my X Factor because I cheated. <laughs> I broke the rules and I chose two. Uh, mine are going to be my X Factors uh, Prince and Kyle, Amukamara, and of course Fuller. Uh, you just mentioned it uh, and about over the success over the middle. For me, I'm looking at the success uh, in terms of when he was attacking those boundaries deep, right? With those two touchdown passes, one to each side. Um, so for me, uh, limiting those plays and of course not being called for pass interference in those situations are going to be vital for both of these corners. And last week, uh, Kyle Fuller and Prince Mukamara uh, were targeted for a combined 12 times in which they allowed seven catches, 137 yards, two touchdowns, and both of them allowed a passer rating over 118 and no PBUs. You can count Kyle Fuller's, Fuller's dropped interception as one if you want, but I'm not going to do that. So obviously Wilson is going to test these two corners, and if they fail that test, um, it doesn't really matter how well the pass rush is or how well the front seven plays. If they don't pass that test in terms of protecting the boundaries uh, and those passes that go for 20-plus yards, the Spirits defense is going to have a hard time maintaining uh, and keeping points off of the board. All right, guys, time to find out who has the edge. And Nick is going to go to you first, the Bears secondary versus the Seattle passing attack. You know what? I have I have a feeling that this Bears secondary is going to have a bounce back game. I think that you know Kyle Fuller and Prince Mukamura they they're looking at after that Packers game disappointed in themselves. So I'm going to go with the Bears secondary just because one you don't have Doug Baldwin their best weapon, um, and just like uh, you were saying earlier, I think uh, I think it was Will with Brandon Marshall, Kyle Fuller. Kyle Fuller knows about Brandon Marshall as well, so they both have a uh, understanding of how each one of them plays. So I'm going to go with the Bears secondary to have a lockdown day on Russell Wilson's receivers. All right. I'm going to give myself the Bears running defense versus Seattle's run game. And I'm going to scoff, pause, say the Bears. <laughs> of course, the Bears run defense. If you need any more reason than what we already talked about about 10 minutes ago, then uh, I just rewind, listen to it again, and then fast forward back to this moment. I mean, it's easy. Seattle had no running game last week. The Bears' defense is pretty stout up front. I don't expect things to really go Seattle's way in terms of establishing the run. Easy, easy choice here for me. So, yeah, the Bears' run defense has the obvious edge. But let's go over to Brandon now for the Bears' pass rush versus Seattle's offensive line. I'm going to scoff. Pause. <laughs> Tell you to rewind. Yeah. No, I'm joking. Uh, but, no, I mean, I'm taking the Bears' pass rush in this one. Cleo Mackey's going to have more pitches in his pitch count. I think he's still going to be a little limited, but he's going to be able to play more throughout this game, no question. Uh, Keem Hicks, he had a sack last week. Uh, Eddie Goldman, Roy Robertson-Harris, both guys are have shown at this point they can go and get pressure up their respective gaps. And Leonard Floyd, whenever he can get that club off, he'll be a lot more of a, a factor as far as the pass rush goes. But he's still going to be a threat that teams have to look for and uh, look to and respect. So I think that uh, there's just too many weapons for this week's Seattle uh, offensive line you have to give to the Bears pass rush. All right. And last week when we were doing our live show, 
uh, at the Pheasant Run Resort. We forgot special teams. What an egregious oversight, <laughs> but I have it highlighted. I have it bold in like four different colors, and I'm not going to forget our patented quick hit on special teams. And guys, this year I'm going to do it a little bit differently. I want to just go around the horn and just give me one thought or one thing you want to mention about the special teams. And if we all give one, I think that's three, if my math is correct. And I think that's plenty of uh, special teams preview because it's kind of hard to uh, give a full-on preview for this side of the ball. It's not that it's not important. It's just it's really hard to really predict what's going to happen in the matchups there. But let's go to Brandon first. Uh, I think it's going to be Cody Parkey. If he gets the opportunity to get some uh, some lengthier field goals, I guess it's really going to do a lot for his confidence because he hit them all last week. Uh, he missed the 252 yarders that we were all kind of like, well, he might not be the kicker we all thought he was. you know. But from 52 yards, it's kind of a distance. Uh, but if he can get closer, closer to that 45, 48, if he hits a couple of those, uh, then I think we're going to be in really good shape. But uh, I think that Cody Parkey's a guy that, you know, given the opportunity to put points on the board, he's shown that he can do it, and I feel pretty comfortable with him right now. All right, Nick, what about you? What's in your mind in terms of the third phase? Yeah, I'll just mention it real quick, but I am more confident in uh, Parkey. But I want to say that the punt return game, we saw Tariq Cohen have a good one against the Packers last week. Let's see that sustained success, you know, being able to read those blocks and get put this Bears offense in better field position. Because, again, shorter field is going to be only allude to more success for that Bears offense. But let's see that return game also be able to have some success. I know that, again, in that Broncos game, it was I think Pac-Man Jones had a good return, but there was a holding call. So I think the Seattle Seahawks special teams unit there's opportunity to have good returns. You just got to, you know, uh, not hold, not commit any penalties. But, you know, this Bears special team, they always do it at some point during the game. So let's see. One, no, no uh, penalties and just have good returns. Good stuff. For me, I mean, I can highlight Seattle's rookie punter that they were talking up on the Meet the Seattle, you know, the Seahawks podcast, uh, Dixon. He did average 59 yards per punt on six punts, which wow. I think, yeah, yeah, it's really <laughs> incredible. Although, although I'm going to keep in mind that they were in Denver, the air is a little thinner up there. So yes, I heard good things about him throughout the entire preseason training camp, but keep in mind, you know, everything 60 yards a punt in Denver, we'll see what he can do here in Soldier Field, especially if the winds are swirling. We'll see how he can kind of manage that because last week O'Donnell did roughly the same. He averaged about 50, a little bit more, and he had one punt that went for 60. So for me, watch this rookie apparent phenom at punter. We'll see how it all kind of pans out. I will add one more thing. Sebastian sure. Janikowski, I mean, he missed one field goal, and I think there was a penalty. He had another opportunity, misses it again. Let's see what he does. Soldier Field's not an easy place to kick field goals, so maybe their field goal kicking, I guess, woes, early on woes. We'll, we'll see what the, that plays dividends in this game on Monday night. Yeah, it's definitely something to consider and keep an eye on. All right, guys, we have one last section of the show to get to, and, of course, it's all of our predictions, and I, we have to start bold and Brandon. Last week, you went extraordinarily <laughs> bold, and I'm wondering if you're going to stay at that pace or if you're going to pump the brakes a little bit. I'm not sure that I could ever match that bold prediction, and I felt well short of that prediction. So uh, <laughs> I don't know that I'll go to, to those heights again. But I, my bold prediction is going to be that Allen Robinson racks up 125 yards receiving in this one. He definitely has the, the opportunity to do it on this young defense. I as long as he runs good clean routes, gives uh, himself an opportunity to get open and a big open for a uh, big open window for Trubisky to throw through. I think that Allen Robinson could definitely reach this bold prediction of 125 yards. Okay. What about you, Nick? So my bold prediction and the um, foreshadowing for what's going to come later in the podcast, but Kyle Fuller uh, makes up for dropping that game winning interception against the Packers. And he actually gets two interceptions on another great quarter or, a great quarterback in Russell Wilson. I think he's just going to have a phenomenal game and it's going to be one against one-on-one against Brandon Marshall. Nice. 
That's bold. I like it. For me, Trey Burton bounces back, comes away with a two-touchdown game, which would only be the second time that he's ever done that in his career. Now, guys, does that sound bold or not so bold? I need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> keep in mind then. All right, one more. I'll add one more wrinkle to it. Trubisky has never thrown multiple touchdowns in the game yet. Oh, okay. That, that's a good right. point. Yeah, that is a good point. That's what I thought. Cool. All right. <laughs> MVB time as I scratch my chin in a proud pride moment there for me. No, but uh, no MVB. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and begin. Uh, for me, I'm, again, I'm going to do Mr. Captain Obvious again. Uh, Khalil Mack. He's going to replicate what we saw last week. No reason to really expect he's going to really dip in production. Now, like we kind of mentioned, maybe it's not going to be as crazy as what we saw Sunday night in terms of all the different turnovers, but I think his presence is going to be what ensures this Bears defense kind of takes care of business all night long. He should be face-to-face with Wilson of plenty in the pocket. He had five hurries last week, and then uh, for him just to consistently uh, disrupt Wilson is going to really just help out this Bears secondary. So for me, a more conditioned Khalil Mack is going to just be a more prominent force uh, for all four quarters, which if he does so, it's going to make, as we saw, makes the entire defense 10 times better. And for that reason, he's, of course, going to end up being the most valuable bear. And let's go to Nick for his MVB prediction. Here's that foreshadowing. I'm going with Kyle Fuller. This is a big game for the Bears. You you don't want to start off 0-2. And I think if Kyle Fuller has a big game, is able to get those two interceptions, just disrupt um, you know, these uh, receivers, that's going to put the Bears defense in a position, a position to succeed. He's paid to be great, too. You know, he's paid as one of the higher corners in this league, and he's expected to make plays. So I'm expecting a big game out of Kyle Fuller, and he's going to be my MVB. B, MVB? I'm, first of all, I just want to say I'm disappointed in Nick uh, for doing foreshadowing and not saying spoiler alert beforehand. So <laughs> that's, that's your thing. That's your I'm, thing. I couldn't take it. Oh, okay. Well, Will <laughs> took it earlier. So I figured, you know, just a round trip, everyone do it. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say Eddie Jackson this one because uh, he said earlier this week the, that the defense got lazy against Green Bay, especially late with the lead. Uh, he said they got lazy. Not what you want to hear. I think he's going to let his action speak this week. Uh, he's not going to be lazy. He's going to be able to get a couple turnovers in this one. I have Eddie Jackson as my MVB. Okay, I'm intrigued that none of us chose an offensive player. It's it's interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. All right, guys. Time to predict the outcome of this game. And just to go around the horn and hand out some standings, we're all on one. <laughs> we all thought the Bears were going to beat the Packers, and they came up one point shy. Well, two point shy of winning, one point shy, of course, having the tie. But now they're all 0-1, so we're all either in first place or last place, depending on your perspective, <laughs> if you're half glass full, half glass empty. Um, but go ahead, tell me who's going to win, what's the score, and just kind of sum it up. And let's go to B first. Well, being in first place, I guess I'll go first. <laughs> uh, I'll say that the Bears win this one in a little more of a deciding faction, I guess. I have the Bears winning 26-18. Russell Wilson can still do some things. Obviously, he threw for almost 300 yards, getting sacked six times, so that's obviously a threat. Uh, but he doesn't have much of a supporting cast as far as running games. So the whole offense really falls on his shoulders. And I'm not sure that he can do it against this uh, Bears defense, uh, and especially the pass rush with Cleo Mack in here now. So I, I think that the Bears can win this one a little more handily. All right. What about you, Nick? I agree with you, Brandon, but my score is going to be Bears 30, Seahawks 17. They're going to wow. actually bring the offense here at Soldier Field. And this is a night where the Bears need to win. Brian Urlacher is going to be honored at halftime. You know the Bears are going to be pumped. The crowd is going to be pumped. We're going to see Matt Nagy have a complete game offensively. Defense is going to come out, pressure Russell Wilson. That's going to you know, correlate to a Bears' dominant victory. Interesting. 
Interesting. 30 points on offense, yet no offensive MVBs. Interesting. <laughs> hey, I didn't say that there wasn't going to be a defensive touchdown. I'm just saying they're scoring 30. <laughs> All right. All right. You shut me up. But not for long because I got to keep going here. Uh, for me, I'm on the flip side of both of you guys. Yes, I have the Bears winning. I need to make sure I, fo- I kind of prelude with that. Um, but for me, it's a much closer game, and it's also a much lower scoring game. I have the Bears winning this one 17-14. I think the defense tightens up, doesn't fold, or like Brandon alluded to, maybe playing a little bit lazy. They don't do that, um, and especially in the fourth quarter, and able to hold Seattle to a minimal point uh, total with that 14, uh, especially with forcing Seattle to be one-dimensional with their lack of a rush rushing attack. Um, and I think the corners have a chip on their shoulder, which really kind of limit what that offense can do. Our offense, though, even though we're expecting some steps in the right direction, I think they proved last week that we need to be patient. So I'm going to be patient. And I think 17 points against Seattle's defense that even though they gave up more points to Denver, Seattle turned the ball over a lot last week, gave Denver multiple opportunities and multiple short fields. Uh, So for me, the Bears scoring 17, Seattle 14. Uh, Brian Urlacher, like you mentioned, Nick, he's going to be, you know, kind of, you know, honored at halftime. So why not a defensive low-scoring battle to kind of bring it all together? And just looking at our fan poll, 68% of Bears fans have the Bears winning by 6+. plus. 26% have the Bears winning a game by less than a touchdown. And then only 6% of the entire poll have the Bears losing, with the majority saying if the Bears do lose, it's going to be by less than one score. Packers fans. Got to be Packers fans. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So usually we wrap it up with the final thought. And we are going to, but I'm adding a new wrinkle into this one. And guys, I've been telling you that I did this a couple hours ago, and I'm excited to unveil it. It's very, very simple. Uh, in our season preview magazine, for every game, we had a confidence meter. So I want to know, in your final thought, give me your number, scale 1 to 10, and your confidence level heading into this game. I know you picked the Bears to win, but I want to know, how confident are you? And let's go to Brandon first. I'm going to say 8.5. A lot of these matchups favor the Bears, uh, but there's certain aspects where we still haven't seen if they can stop the big play. Uh, Russell Wilson is similar to Aaron Rodgers. He can make things happen outside the pocket. Uh, I mean, I think I said it in the last segment that I had and giving the the score, I mean, he got sacked six times and still threw for almost 300 yards. So he's, he's still a very, very good weapon on offense uh, that the whole offense really runs through. So uh, in order to keep the the Seahawks at, at bay, they have to be able to keep Russell Wilson at bay. So I give it an eight and a half. I think they can do it. I think they play some better complimentary football this week, so I give it an eight and a half. Eight and a half, 85. Oh, it's nice. I like it. Let's go over <laughs> to Nick. What's your confidence and what's your final thought? You know, my score reflects my confidence in this. I might give it a nine. If this Bears team truly is different, not the same one the past three years who's gotten, you know, whooped, has 14 wins in three seasons, then this needs to be a game where you win. You can't go 0 2 to start the season. I know there's going to be yet take time for this offense to gel. A lot of moving different pieces, but this Bears team is actually different from all the rest of the ones that we've seen for over the past couple of years. New era of Bears football. You come out, win this game, and you win it definitively. I mean, obviously, if the close win, it, you're still going to take the win, but I want to see that happen. This needs to happen for the switch to, you know, be in full force to actually take, you know, just start off running in the right direction finally. Yeah, no, this team needs to learn how to win and how to win consistently. It's, uh, a lot of these guys in the locker room has been here for a few years. It hasn't been the case. And I know they've a lot of them come from winning pedigrees, winning backgrounds, but you have to learn how to win where you're at in that current situation. And I mean, the bears need to find a way to do that for me. 
out of honestly, I'm at the eight, which puts me at the lowest, which I mean it's not a bad area where to be in terms of confidence in a matchup, but for me being the optimistic one or perhaps you know, the self proclaimed most optimistic one, for me being at an eight, I feel kind of I feel bad about that number, but uh, I think it's an appropriate <laughs> number. I think, like I already mentioned, that uh, this Bears defense, I don't expect them to struggle all too much against Seattle's offense. I think they're going to make their plays. They're going to put up some points. You're not going to be able to shut them out or anything or keep them you know, less than 10 points. But for me, I think the matchups are in our favor uh, all over that defense and matching up against their offense. Uh, as long as we on offense don't turn the ball over and give Seattle short fields, Seattle easy opportunities, we'd be in good shape. And I think, Nick, if yours comes to uh, fruition in terms of like having a bigger margin of victory, the Bears on offense need to do one thing, and that's finding a way to convert on, of course, in the red zone, like I mentioned, but in terms of uh, those shorter fields that they're given, either be uh, a turnover, find a way to turn it into points. Tree Cohen returns the ball into your side of the 50, find a way to score some points. Don't just either punt the ball or if you have to, if you go for it, find a way to convert that. But coming up empty handed, not just kills momentum, but it takes points off the board. When you do both of those, uh, we saw what happened on Sunday night, but no heading in this game. I'm confident. I think the bears offense is going to still be uh, slowly coming together. Uh, I think we'll see some, a step or two in the right direction, but they can definitely prove me wrong. And I'll have a big smile on my face come Monday night afterwards on the post game show. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. And if you haven't checked out our Meet the Seahawks episode, I highly, highly encourage you to do so as our guest, Andrew, delivered some great firsthand insight that I promise that you'll find both entertaining and insightful. You won't get that kind of coverage about the opponent really anywhere else. So check it out. And I want to thank everyone who's here watching live on the Thursday night. And of course, anyone's watching this video after the fact and to our thousands of people across the globe who, of course, are listening to this podcast. We appreciate each and every one of you for tuning into all parts of our preview and, of course, our post-game shows and sticking with us all year long. It's exciting to be back into uh, game weeks. It feels like we're right back in a routine. We're right back where we left off, and, and it feels like we are here yesterday. It's pretty ca- uncanny when you think about it, but, no, seriously, you're all super appreciated by everyone here and, of course, our entire writing staff as well. So up next, our Will Ingles is going to hand out his five matchups of the week. I already know what they are, and let me just say, they're going to play a very vital factor in the game's outcome. And of course, soon after that, I'm going to walk you through my three keys to victory leading you into Monday night. But until then, bear down, Chicago. Does a robot know you like a neighbor? Insurance Corporation will fulfill requests to cover anyone, anything, anytime, anywhere, with most standard algorithm in the order it was received. Please hold. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting the insurance coverage you need always starts with a conversation. Find a Farm Bureau agent at fbfs.com protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 